Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everybody, this is Lou Nash. And this is Ella Gordon-Latty. And together we welcome you to the redesign of everything. Where we will be talking to the global changemakers, the designers and the practitioners who are helping to redesign a better future for us all. We'll be giving you not only the inspiration, but also the tools to redesign your world for the better. Design is the single most important force in building a thriving future for us all. A future that's more regenerative, more resilient and more circular by design. So let's share these stories and insights gleaned from our guests at the front line of this transformation. Thank you for being here and for listening, because together we really can redesign everything. Welcome back to the second episode of The Redesign of Everything. Now, at The Redesign of Everything, as you know, we are sharing the journeys and the stories of the global and local changemakers and practitioners who are redesigning a better future for all of us today. At Circularity, in the heart of the work we do are a set of circular by design methods. These are what guide the work that we do and the spirit in which we do it. Lou, for as long as I can remember, these have been the toolkit for change, but I'd love to know more about how the circular by design methods were created in the first place. I created them out of a, out of a question. Mm-hmm. And that question was about the status quo of how business growth generally always generates environmental degradation, Mm -hmm. how I might shift that. So for some people, you might know that to be linear to circular. You know, we're taking, making and wasting instead of making it circular and creating and bringing things back to be reused. So it started with this question of how do I make that shift from linear to circular and how do I create a toolkit for businesses to use? So we can do that anywhere with everyone, any business around the world, any city, any organisation. And so with that question in mind, I went, well, what's out there right now that's a toolkit for change? I ended up doing about 200 interviews with global experts around the world and looking at about 1,000 case studies. And I went, what's the commonality between this? Because not every business can go off and do that research. And actually what it all drew down to was six methods of becoming circular. And if a business could explore each of these six methods, they could unlock this fantastic amount of value. So Accenture valued it at $4.5 trillion globally if you could unlock the circular economy for your business. We could reduce emissions and we could reduce environmental degradation. So that piece of research drilled down to to six methods. And what methods they are. Are we really going to do this, Ella? Are we going to go through each of the methods and share them with the listeners? We really are. And the reason why we're going to do it, whenever we use these CBD methods, it sparks this abundance of new ideas and connections for people using them. I feel like every time we use them in a business or in a workshop, the paths that unfold really blow us away. And that's because part of the whole circular economy and part of the CBD methods is that we usually already have all the answers we need. We just have to start connecting them in more imaginative and bold ways. And that's exactly what these CBD methods allow us to do. And the result really is the Circular Innovation Toolkit to guide and inspire businesses, government and entrepreneurs to create these new ways to generate value, build resilience and more importantly work collaboratively to tackle systemic environmental challenges that we're facing both here and globally as well. 
Should we kick into the methods? Off you go, Lou. Hit the number drum one. The drum, <laughs> drum roll, please. The drum roll, please. Okay, so the first one, it's a real fundamental belief in the circular economy, which is in nature there is no waste. So why is there no waste in nature? Well, nature is made up of a whole bunch of closed-loop systems. Closed-loop system is the idea that the waste and the materials that come out of one part of a process just keep being used by another. A worm bin's a really good example. So you eat your food, you put the remains in a worm bin, the, wor- the worms eat that, cascade down, and the worm poop goes into your garden to remake food again. Perfect closed-loop system, how it works in nature. Now, as you can imagine when you think about that example, that's a biological-based closed-loop system. But what we have been doing in our industrial system is creating a whole bunch of technical versions of that that don't have closed loops. They only go in one direction. They go into the ocean or they go into landfill, right? This concept is for businesses to think about for all the materials that are flowing through their business, how might they mirror nature to design the system for optimal resource use so it can be reused, repurposed, redesigned, remanufactured and come back again. And it's one of the fundamental principles of the circular economy. So that's why it gets the, you know, the glory spot of, of being number one. Instead of just delivering your product to customers or to the retailer, you think about when I go out to deliver product, what am I taking back? How do I use reverse logistics? Why is there a bunch of empty trucks driving around? I'm going to that business and a whole bunch of other businesses, uh, trucks are driving to that business and removing things. How can I use reverse logistics? And one company up in the UK actually did this really well. They were an organic fruit and vegetable delivery system to the household. And they worked out, you know, they had all these delivery systems and then they worked out that actually the household wanted to return recycling back to them. And then that created a whole new business model. So they dropped off organic veg, they picked up the recycling materials, and then they sold that on the open market. And that's the beauty of of reverse logistics. It's moving from thinking about waste, like, and not even really using that word waste. It's about thinking about it as a resource. You know, food is a resource in the system. It feeds healthy bellies. It feeds the soil. It's a resource. How do we keep using it? And for many people, you know, if you've bought a computer or a phone, you know, this idea of planned obsolescence has been built into electronics from the get-go, right? So it's about going, it's not obsolescence. It's about what's a second life, what's a third life. And if you're a product designer, you've made a pair of shoes, what's that pair of shoes going to be after it's stopped being a pair of shoes? Does it come back and get ground down and made into another pair of shoes? Does it go on to be something else? Can you sell a second-hand pair of shoes? So it's all these kind of concepts that, that really set up you know, a real shift in, in our economy. It addresses things like the plastic crisis, where only 14% of the world's plastic is being recycled, and it reduces the mining of the earth for virgin materials. So if you're a, you produce shampoo, it means that if you're bringing back some packaging materials that have been used, you can put in recycled materials, and you don't have to import. You import less raw material. It's a reduction in cost. So this is super important to be part of the circular economy. One of the standout examples has to be Loop from TerraCycle. This is packaging as a service. It happened when TerraCycle, whose founder Tom Zaki will be interviewing in later episodes, got together at the World Economic Forum with 25 of the world's top packaging polluters and decided to create a global consumer delivery service for everyday household goods designed to eliminate excess waste by retrieving this reusable packaging, washing it, 
and putting it back into the system again. Think about getting your Haagen-Dazs ice cream delivered in a beautiful aluminium container. Once you're done, put it back in your loop bag and it gets picked up. So we know that not so long ago, the milkman delivered reusable bottles and later picked them up to be refilled. Now we're doing that with things like deodorant, orange juice and shampoo. So this is launching in Australia later on this year and is already operating in US and France and is only going to go global very, very soon. And in New Zealand, you know, we've got many, many different schemes being started for the coffee cup being returnable or reusable using cups as a service. And so you'll see examples locally in Aotearoa via different cafes and outlets throughout the country. We've also got Adidas, uh, their Future Craft Loop shoe, and also a ski company called Solomon, for some of you might know it. They've started creating a running shoe that's fully recyclable. So when you're thinking about closed loops as a business, think about what are the materials you're using to design your product that go into it, Are they the right set of materials that when you bring back it at the end, you can reuse them and remake with them? That's closed-loop systems. A really good example of a closed-loop system actually came from Haka Tourism, who were part of our X-Labs program, um, a circular economy lab that we ran last year in 2020. So Haka Tourism came in and really wanted to look at how they might reduce emissions. They have a number of tours um, throughout the country where they're driving guests to go and see you know, amazing sites and, and locations around this country. But what they found was when people were out and about, they created a huge amount of single-use plastic waste. And so they one of their core ideas was to create a closed-loop system where they collected uh, that plastic waste that was single-use. They worked with a plastic company to grind that down and it made recycled food boxes for them on their tours. So they actually created their own little mini plastic reuse recycling system for their tours. So that was a great example. This podcast is delivered to you by Circularity, a circular transformation agency working with a new breed of organisations and change makers to solve the environmental challenges of business as usual. We use circular practices to unlock innovation that is better for both people and the planet. If you're interested in learning more about what we do, head to our website, circularity.co.nz. Now, method two, arguably my favorite method. And the reason why is because I feel like it's so tangible. If you're sitting anywhere, you can pick up any object or look at any object and wonder what is it made of. So method number two is about smart materials. We're radically redesigning with renewable materials that regenerate our living systems. So smart materials are the raw materials or feedstocks that products and packaging are created from. They cause no harm to human health or the environment they operate in. Smart biomaterials can also be grown for purpose. They also sequester carbon and return to the earth as food or to be used indefinitely. To give you a really practical example of this, take H&M's recent pineapple leather jacket made from waste. So they used and created a pineapple leather, which was pineapple waste product, dried out, processed and on the shelves it went. I tried to get one. Did you get one? No. no I, I missed out. I ate mine. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I still think it's probably as chewy as leather. 
And one of the coolest things about these smart materials is that they can be grown for purpose in a lab to size. So that means no more offcuts, no more waste. Also, the material that it's grown out of has the ability to sequester carbon, making it an emissions positive jacket, for example. The material could be returned to the earth as food or be used indefinitely, melted back down or reprocessed and turned into another pineapple leather jacket. So if we're going to ensure that we practice kaitiakitanga, guardianship of our lands and protecting all living creatures, we need to explore how we might radically redesign with new materials that cause no harm. Already we're seeing a wool-based bubble wrap in the market and we've actually got New Zealand-based company Wilkme, which has developed a wool that can be used inside nappies to replace plastic. So if you can imagine if you try to replace uh, recycled nappies, it's really problematic uh, with plastic, but more potential to um, to do it with wool. So Lou, tell us about method number three. So method number three came about when I found a whole bunch of case studies around people power. So this was a business toolkit that I was creating, but these examples just kept coming up and out of the community. We had a circular economy operating at a grassroots level, and it was the mums and the dads, the kids, you know, the teenagers getting involved with growing their own food, collecting their recycling, reusing things. And I went, that agency that's being created at that level is regenerative. And it's the regenerative behaviours that we want to see. This method is about how we can have a role of influencing, rewarding and socialising behaviours that regenerate our natural resources. I found many examples where communities came together to deliver these circular systems for these communities around food production, waste and the sharing of resources. And I really wanted to, you know, give businesses the nudge, the opportunity to think about how they could have a role to play with these communities. This method became all about the human behaviours required to continually care for and sustain living systems, including things like composting food waste to regenerating soils, planting trees to sequestering carbon, collecting litter from the beaches, travelling in low-carbon transport vehicles, and purchasing products that offer regenerative benefits. So these are all the things we hear that we want to be doing and that we need to be doing in the next 10 years. My challenge to businesses is how do you influence, reward and socialise these things amongst your staff and communities. If we can incentivise the behaviour change, people will be off, you know, they'll be doing it and we can do it in great numbers. This is about shifting from a throwaway culture to a real value-based culture. I love that with this one it's about giving people the platforms to transform what they care about into their actions. And I know there's some fantastic platforms out there. Do you have a couple of examples of of whether they're digital or in-person schemes that help do this? Yeah, definitely. So the Kogo Shopping on the Go app, the New Zealand-based one, is a really good example. This is regenerative behaviours with really good dynamic nudges from digital technology. It's an app. And essentially, it's all geo-targeted, so you can match the kinds of shops that you want to shop at, you know, whether it's ethical, whether it's circular, and you get rewarded for doing that. So there's a whole bunch of ways that you can tap in and and reward this behaviour that we need to see. Method four is all about circular business models. This is where we're applying new circular business models to existing businesses or new businesses to optimise resource value creation through services, sharing and re-commerce. Examples that you might be really familiar with are rental instead of ownership. 
for example, design a wardrobe, instead of going and buying a dress that you might wear a couple of times and then throw away, instead you go in and rent it for the event and put it back into the system for other people to use. So we've got five circular business models that can really unlock new value in the circular economy that allows for economic development to operate within natural resource limits and enable customers to do more with less. So this new value includes the creation of circular supplies, products as services, sharing of assets, product life extension, and resource recovery. It's really about going from single inputs to circular inputs, for example, the dress that you might hire from designer wardrobe, from resource disposal to resource recovery, from short life cycles of a product to a sustained lifespan, and from single ownership to products as a services using sharing platforms. So when we're talking to clients or other people about this space, we're asking questions like, what are the living systems that you interact with? And how are they affected by your current linear system? We're asking who their communities are and what do they value? And what is the intergenerational vision of the communities and the mana whenua in the places that you operate in? Asking these questions can give you a real sense of which of the circular business models that you can implement to best create ongoing sustainable value for not only the people, but the environment as well. Yeah, what I really like about circular business models is it, it provides a lot of aha moment for C-suite. Mm. You know, if you think, oh, you know, we're a, we're a producer of, of MDF and this is how much money I make off MDF and, oh, you know, there's a really big problem with MDF waste and going to landfill. How am I going to solve that? As soon as you overlay the potential for circular business models onto that, you start to un unlock different business streams and different value that can be created. For instance, with the re you know circular recovery, you realise, oh, I'm not the only one in the business of selling MDF. Mm. There's a whole bunch of other businesses that MDF is part of their core revenue streams. If I created a recovery stream, a recovery business around collecting it, finding ways to reuse it, I could sell that back to that entire industry. Mm. Or if... I don't let my customers, you know, buy it outright. Instead, I get kitchens. Kitchens are made for MDF. Instead of having people buy a kitchen and design a kitchen and get it all set up, why don't I just charge them a monthly subscription rate to have a kitchen essentially as a service? Mm. So then when parts decay and need repairing, I can come in and collect it and replace it, and I've already built that into my business model. Are you ready to transition your business from linear to circular? Whether you want to design out waste, reduce your emissions, or even explore the nature of your sustainability story, we're here to help. Let our circular innovation partners and design strategists guide you towards extraordinary innovative outcomes. Our circular projects tackle your biggest challenges, embed circular thinking into your organisation, connects you to solutions that exist and creates them when they don't. For the benefit of your business, customers, communities and stakeholders. To help build capability, unlock new value and co-design an extraordinary future together. Get in touch today and together let's redesign everything. Head to Circularity .co.nz Okay, cool. How are we doing, team? We're up to method five. Oh, yes. Yeah, so just remember, you know, just value. This is a year's work gone into, gone into six methods. <laughs> Method five is about network participation, and this one was really born out of the digital revolution and the rise of platforms. 
and what some people have called the network effect. And they started a lot of businesses around, you know, Uber and Airbnb. It was it was kind of based on the idea of, you know, a two-way market. You know, you've got people who want lifts. If you connect them with people that can be networked and we can see that, we, you know, where they are, we can connect them with drivers and just the power of what digital technology brought to that. So for this case, in terms of trying to decouple, you know, business growth from environmental degradation, this method, network participation, is all about scaling the impact of collective action by leveraging the power of digital networks. And it's through this network effect of these platforms that we're seeing authentic connections scaling up impact dramatically. And it's an approach that connects communities with a challenge to other groups who can solve it. And this is where grassroots meets big business and where the startup starts to scale their impact. So it's moving individuals to the collective from being really inward focused in your business to being outward focused and from being analog to digital. Because we know that if we shift things to digital, we're saving a whole lot of issues in waste just to begin with. What are some examples in this networked participation space. Well, we've got some right here already in New Zealand and we desperately need more. So for some of you, you might have heard of the example Trees That Count. The idea being is that trees are one of the greatest things that we can do to reduce carbon emissions. And how do we kind of link that in to communities to encourage them to plant trees? Well, we've got lots of great community action planting trees. How do they scale that up? Let's create a network platform. On one side, you've got the communities who want the trees. On another side, you've got the businesses who want to reduce their carbon emissions and they want to offset. So they pay for the communities to plant trees. So that would happen normally. You put a digital platform behind that. You enable businesses to do that at the click of a button and then you get scale. So that's what a network participation does to that. And I hate to get really techy on it. And I didn't want to say the B word, but with the event of blockchain, we're <laughs> going to see this utterly unleashed as bits of impact can become tokenized. And we can soon, from the other side of the world, invest in points of impact somewhere else that we care about. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, Ali, you mentioned blockchain and we're jumping, which is really good, straight in to the final method, which is about embedding intelligence. Embedded intelligence is all about authenticating data flows across stakeholders in the system. And the power of this is that emerging disruptive technologies like blockchain, Internet of Things, AI, virtual reality and augmented reality can help provide the necessary infrastructure, if you will, required to authenticate performance, protect resources and improve customer satisfaction. These days we're all hearing some scary stories about the power of these disruptive technologies, but actually they can be channeled to be an incredible force for good, especially in the circular economy. Yeah, I mean, the, the st we all know that data is like, you know, the new currency, and that's what this one is all about. How do we bring data in to deliver transparency? How do we measure the things that are currently unseen, right? So blockchain, you know, allows us to authenticate across supply chains. It gets used for to build transport systems so that different transport companies, whether you're a scooter company or, a, you know, a taxi company or a public transport company, can all sit on the blockchain so that one customer at the other end can choose an integrated transport option, right? So it's things like that. We're seeing some really cool stuff going on in AI and 
Um, there's a project here in New Zealand that I've just been a big fan of that uses it called the Cacophony Project. They've been whittling away on this, doing amazing stuff. And they just essentially went, you know what, this whole pest eradication program in New Zealand, how do we scale this with AI? How do we create a machine that recognises a pest in the wild, in the dark, and really badly, but kills them, <laughs> kills them, you know, so that the birds can live, but eradicates them at scale without the need for Doc needing to go out and top up traps and, mm. you know, do this whole process. We're just never going to get there. You know, we've got a million birds a year being killed in the, in the country by pests. This is where this new technology can take us. It's not going to be just about one person trying to kill a pest in their back garden. It's about creating these systems and tools that can mean that every pest in the country can be killed. And that's what I love about embedded intelligence. Incredible. And something that we've seen come forth in New Zealand, and I forget the name of it, but they have developed a piece of software that becomes the digital twin to your farm. So for farmers who potentially want to uh, transform the way they farm into more regenerative practices or they want to change what they're planting or how they're planting, to go and actually do that and try that out is super costly. And with the way farm economics at the moment, farmers just can't afford to go ahead and do that, even if it would mean better outcomes in the long run. So what they've done is developed a digital twin backed by AI and other new tech. And farmers are able to go in there and kind of scenario out different things that they might do on their farm without actually having to go and do it. Yeah, like the virtual world on, on steroids. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. And that's, you know, resulting in farmers having the confidence to make changes like using less fertilizer, yeah. moving from monocropping to intercropping, all sorts of wonderful outcomes are yeah, happening. That's really cool. Tool. That's definitely the change we need to see, Ella. So we made it through the six methods and I you know, I hope that sort of inspired your mind to be thinking about, God, that one there in particular, that I think we can do something with that. You know, I think we can create a product or service from for my business and that's a new revenue stream. And then that means we're going to engage our customers in conversations around how might they rent or subscribe to my product instead of buying it. How we use these methods with businesses is they become part of the kickoff session with every new project. And so we actually go through whether it's a ski hill or whether it's the aquaculture industry and we go, how do each of these methods show up for this industry? How is that industry performing at closed loops? Where are the gaps? Is that industry tapping into embedded intelligence? Maybe that's the opportunity. And if you can kind of envisage, you get a bit of a spider graph out of it. You know, you're going to have some strengths for your business or industry in some areas, but where you've got weaknesses are opportunities. And this is where your next level of innovation can come in and really the cornerstone of why this toolkit is really successful because it unlocks future product development and innovation for your business. That's better for the world. It's what your customers want and it's pretty darn exciting. What do you reckon, Ella? Have we have we cracked it? Have we given away the crown jewels? I believe we may have, but the most important thing is that we would love for you guys to start thinking about how you can apply this to redesign the world around you. And we look forward to you joining us for our next podcast episodes where you're going to be hearing from, as we mentioned, the global and local change makers who are really bringing these CBD methods to life. Well, Ella, I always joke whenever I give these methods over that I've done myself out of a job. 
But to be honest, that's kind of the point, right? You know, I want everyone to be working with these. I want us all to be exploring the next level of innovation in this way because I know that it will be better for the world and and better for people and um, their businesses. That's it until next time. See you next time. Friends, thank you so much for joining us today and a big thank you to our guest and our fantastic team producing the redesign of everything. For more information about Circularity, the work that we do and how we can help your organisation, head to circularity.co.nz or find us on our social media channels listed in the show notes. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening on. And until next time, let's redesign everything. Everything.